Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Tonight's case is one that hits home for me. It happened in the community that I used to live in while I was still living there to a young woman a year younger than me who ran in many of the same circles that I did. When Jennifer Teague went missing after working her late night shift at a local Wendy's in the Ottawa area community of Barhaven, No one could have possibly predicted what kind of horrific fate she had met. It left the quiet and safe family-filled neighborhood on high alert, terrified that there was a predator on the loose. And there was a very sick man who took his rage and frustration out on a young 18-year-old woman who had her whole life ahead of her. Before we talk about our case, tonight's episode is sponsored by GarageStoresWithAZ.com. 
If you haven't checked out their online shop of awesome and innovative vehicle accessories, this is your reminder that you're missing out on some seriously cool stuff. They have everything from car organizers to car accessories and repair tools, cleaning supplies, and more. Honestly, they have the coolest vehicle accessories you never even knew existed, but now that you know they do, you need them. They also provide free four-day shipping in the U.S., free returns, and a money-back guarantee so that you can feel confident in your purchase. One of my favorite things about their online shop is that they have a ton of product reviews, so you can really find out the quality and the usefulness of the product you're interested in purchasing before you actually buy. Check out garagestoreswithaz.com for all of your vehicle accessory needs. And stay tuned halfway through tonight's episode for some of the latest gadgets I've found while browsing their shop. Now let's jump in. Jennifer Teague was born on June 30th, 1987, so like I said, she was a year younger than I was. She had just turned 18 years old when she was taken from this earth, and if she were alive today, she'd be 34 years old. Jennifer went by Jen to all of her friends and Jenny to her family, which consisted of her mom and dad, Jean and Ed Teague, along with her two older brothers, Kevin and Carrie. As the youngest and the only girl in the family, Jen had this perfect balance of being a girly girl who loved shopping, while also being very athletic and able to stand her own ground, especially when it came to the teasing from her brothers. Even though she was only 5'4", maybe 106 pounds, she could really hold her own, and her tough take-no-shit attitude was matched with kindness and generosity and an absolute love of life. Jen's father, Ed, was in the military, and the family had been posted from Halifax, Nova Scotia to Ottawa, Ontario a year before she was born. While in Ottawa, Ed and Jean Teague decided to divorce, and Jen, along with her brothers, moved with their mother to Barhaven, which is located in the southwest end of Ottawa. Barhaven used to be a fairly small hub just outside of the city, but it's experienced massive growth over the last 20 years or so. It's a very family-friendly community with beautiful cookie-cutter housing, great schools, and everything you need for shopping. Back in 2005, things were still constantly being built up. There was construction everywhere. Even though her parents were divorced, Jen and her brother still kept a close relationship with their father, who would go on to remarry, but still lived nearby. While Jen was a smart and savvy young lady, she struggled with the learning environment in a traditional classroom, and so when she was in the 10th grade, she moved from attending John McRae Secondary School over to an alternative school called Elizabeth Winwood, where she absolutely thrived. Her grades improved, and she became an active student, even joining an environmental group called Earth Care that traveled to elementary schools to talk to younger kids about conservation. She made a huge impression and impact on those she attended school with, and she had a ton of friends there. Things were going really well. She was getting ready to start grade 12, her final year in high school, and she enjoyed working part-time at the local Wendy's restaurant. She loved to shop, especially shopping with her mom, so she always had a part-time job doing this or that to support her shopping habit. Jen was also an incredible athlete. She kicked ass at soccer and baseball, with her baseball coach even saying she had an arm like a cannon. 
She wasn't really sure what she was wanting to do after graduating high school, but for now, she was happy with how things were, and she thought she had time to decide. After all, she was only 18 years old. She was a typical teenager who loved playing video games and eating chocolate. Her bedroom was full of Ottawa Senator fan merchandise. She loved the Sens, and in particular, Daniel Alfredson, who was the captain at the time. On her bed, she still kept a stuffed lamb she had since childhood that she named Emily. Like I said, she was still very much a young woman. On September 8, 2005, Jen was working a late-night shift at a Wendy's restaurant, which wasn't too far from her home in Barhaven, so she would always walk to and from work. Now, I lived in Barhaven for about three years when I was in junior high school and high school. I moved away for a few years, and then I moved back when I was 19 years old. But even when I was in grade 8 or 9, the community just always felt really safe. My friends and I would walk around all hours of the night, stopping at the convenience store to grab a snack, or maybe Tim Hortons to grab a donut, or just hanging out by the train tracks. Nothing eventful ever really happened there, and my parents never really worried about my safety. So for Jen to walk home by herself so late at night, it wouldn't have really been a concern. After her shift ended, she met up with a few of her friends at the Max Milk convenience store at around 1am. This would have been just another stop on her way home, a chance to have a quick catch-up and a smoke with her friends before she'd begin her final leg of her journey home by herself. After saying goodbye to her friends and giving them a big hug, she would never be seen alive again. When Jen didn't show up at home after her shift, her family knew immediately that something wasn't right. They tried calling her cell phone, but it had been turned off. After speaking with her friends and her workplace and discovering that no one knew where she was or had heard from her, they called the police right away to report her missing. But according to Jen's stepmother, Sylvie, the police didn't initially take it all that seriously. And we hear this time and time again. Sometimes the police are just a little too quick to dismiss reports of missing individuals, thinking that they'll just show up eventually. In the case of Jen, she was an 18-year-old girl, and so the police initially believed that she was probably just out with her friends, or maybe she had run away and would return home soon. But her family pushed and pushed, knowing that something bad must have happened. She hadn't even shown up for her classes. And Jen was the type of person who went to school, went to work, hung out with friends, but always came home and always stayed in contact with her family. Eventually, it became obvious that this was not the case of a runaway, and a massive search for Jennifer Teague began. Her family posted flyers all over Barhaven. I remember seeing her beautiful face on all of these missing persons flyers and just having this sick feeling in my stomach. The police went door to door to talk to people to see what they knew, if they had heard anything, or if they had seen anything. In some cases, they asked if they could search their homes, believing that maybe someone was holding her captive. A command center was set up at the local church parking lot, and police would deploy trained dogs and helicopters to look for the missing teen. The community really came together as well to conduct private searches. Everyone was terrified that there could be someone prowling Barhaven, looking for young women to abduct. 
However, even with all of the search and all of the resources, they found nothing. Jen's family and all of her friends were intensely interviewed. Like I said, abductions just didn't happen in Barhaven, so police thought that it was a strong possibility whoever had taken her or hurt her must have known her personally. They looked closely at a co-worker from Wendy's. Rumor had it that this guy had a crush on Jen, but that it wasn't reciprocated. When police brought him into the station for questioning, they noticed that he had all these scratches on his neck and face. He said that he got it from shaving, but they weren't so sure. He told the police that he had offered to walk Jen home that evening, but she had said no, it was okay, she was going to meet up with friends. Police were able to confirm this guy's story, and they even gave him a polygraph test, which he passed. So he was eliminated as a suspect. After interviewing the friends that Jen had met up with at the Max Milk convenience store that evening, one of them mentioned that there had been a young guy driving a car in the parking lot. It was a person who Jen was familiar with and didn't particularly like, and in fact, she had flipped him off as he drove past her. This individual had a history with stalking, and his ex-girlfriend had even put a restraining order out against him, so it seemed like he could be a good lead. Police brought him in for questioning, and he denied having anything to do with Jen's disappearance. But police believed that he was acting very suspicious during the interview. Very combative and argumentative, like he didn't have time to be there. And so they asked him to take a polygraph as well, which he did, and he passed too. This was another suspect ruled out, and police weren't really sure where they were going to look next. While the search was ongoing, something kind of strange happened. Letters began arriving at Jen's father's house. Ed Teague reported receiving these handwritten letters regarding Jen's disappearance, with one letter stating that this person had a dream that Jennifer was in a cold, dark place. The letters just kept coming, day after day, and Ed, along with his wife Sylvie, began to sift through them with gloves on to preserve any evidence that might be on them. The police couldn't determine where they were coming from or if they were real or someone just playing a cruel joke. Unfortunately, they didn't amount to any actual tips or help in finding Jen, and the money that was being spent on the massive police search resources was also dwindling, forcing them to scale everything back. Then, on September 18th, 10 days since Jen went missing, everything would change. An off-duty police officer who happened to be taking a walk out with his family discovered a naked female body that had been dumped near a parking lot in the Stony Swamp Conservation Area. Now this area, it's fairly popular with hikers. It's a trail and it's located about 5 kilometers from where Jen had disappeared. The body appeared to have been there for a little bit, so it was in a state of decomposition, but after being examined by the medical examiner's office, it was confirmed to be that of Jennifer Teague. Now, it went from being a missing persons case to a homicide. And again, people were terrified. Now, it was confirmed there was a predator out there, a killer who had taken the life of a young woman simply walking home from work and then dumped her body in a swamp. And without any idea of who may have done this, there were so many rumors floating around. Some speculated that her father, Ed, had something to do with it. 
Some thought that the off-duty police officer who found her body must have been the one who put her there. And then there were rumors that Jen must have been involved in some sort of drug deal gone wrong, which is all horrific and all would be found to be untrue. There had been another young woman murdered in the area just a couple of years prior, a woman by the name of Ardith Wood, and many wondered if the two cases could be connected. There wasn't a whole lot of information put out by the police at the time because they wanted to hold on to a lot of what they had as evidence that could be used later, so people just made up their own scenarios. The following April, police released a sketch of who they believed the suspect to be. Honestly, the sketch couldn't be any more generic in my personal opinion. It looks like anyone and no one all at the same time. I don't know where they got the details to put this sketch together, but it is a pretty terrible sketch. And while Jen's friends and family said that the person didn't look like anyone that they knew, the sketch did bring in 85 new tips. Unfortunately, none of them would lead to a concrete suspect. Wendy's Canada, where Jen worked, offered a $50,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest of the killer, and the Ottawa Police Services Board, they decided to double that amount, bringing the total reward amount to $100,000, which is a hell of a lot of money. They were hoping it might inspire someone to come forward with new information, but unfortunately, there was nothing really substantial given. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. 
Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle. And I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code NAPPER50 at factormeals.com slash NAPPER50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The following month, we're now in May of 2006, which is eight months since Jen was abducted. Police released 24 photos of people who might be a potential witness. These photos were taken directly from the surveillance video footage from the Max Milk convenience store that Jen had visited that evening. The police are determined to find her killer, and the heat is on. So much heat that it actually kind of works. And just days later, something really strange happens. On June 9th, 24-year-old Barhaven resident Kevin Davis is with his girlfriend and the pair are having a grand old time taking mushrooms. Not the kind of mushrooms you put on pizza, the magic kind. According to Kevin, while he was hallucinating, it appeared as if he were having a religious experience, one that would press him to confess all that had been weighing heavy on his mind. He begins to talk and he completely freaks out his girlfriend with what he's saying. So she gets in her car and she takes off. Now Kevin, he is really starting to trip out and he feels like he's getting hot. So he takes off all of his clothing. Then he runs out onto Fallowfield Road, which is actually a pretty busy road in Barhaven. And he lies on the road in the middle of traffic. A vehicle approaches, and lucky for him, the car stops instead of just running him over. When the driver gets out of the car, Kevin starts screaming that he killed Jennifer Teague. The man didn't really believe him, but called 911 anyway because clearly Kevin is in some sort of medical distress. An ambulance arrives and whisks him away to the hospital under the Mental Health Act, where he is eventually cleared and discharged. A few days later, police question him about what he was shouting, that he killed Jennifer Teague. And he tells them he has no idea about the case. He was just high out of his mind and spewing bullshit. Now, the police, for some reason, they believe him, and so he's released. 
But the guilt continues to consume Kevin Davis. He has a picture of Jennifer that he saved from a newspaper that he often looks at, as well as one of the missing persons posters. And so a few weeks after the whole mushroom event, Kevin Davis decides that it's time to actually try and turn himself in for real this time. He walks outside of his house. He goes over to a neighbor who is sitting outside reading a book and eating an apple. And he tells the neighbor to call 911 because he was the one who killed Jennifer. The neighbor, who doesn't even really know this Kevin Davis guy, is startled by what he's hearing. And he goes inside the house to call the police. Kevin wanders off telling anyone else who will listen that he killed Jennifer Teague. He eventually goes to a shopping center where he sees an off-duty police officer in his car and he walks up and he says, what if I told you something that would make you famous? Would you want to hear it? The officer initially shrugged it off. He's probably thinking like, who the hell is this guy and what does he want? But then Kevin blurts out, even if I told you I killed Jennifer Teague? Now the officer isn't playing games. So he calls it in and Kevin Davis is arrested without incident. So who is Kevin Davis? Well, he was a 24-year-old man at the time who worked at a pizza parlor and lived in Barhaven with his mother. Actually, his home was located right behind the baseball diamond that police had used as a helicopter landing during the search for Jennifer. He was so close to the investigation that the police had actually interviewed him when they were doing their door-to-door canvassing. When they had spoke to him at that time, he said he didn't know anything about her or her disappearance, and he gave police an alibi for where he was that evening, which his female friend, who was visiting at the time, confirmed for him. Which is a lie. She lied for him. And I don't get it, because if I were her, I would be thinking to myself, why do you have to make up a lie? Like, why do you need me to back up a lie? If you weren't really with me, then where the hell were you? But I guess she didn't really think that far ahead. Kevin was a very tall and large man. He would have absolutely been able to overpower Jennifer Teague. He's been described as somewhat of a loner, and I'll say it myself, he's a loser. Growing up, he struggled to fit in. He was always heavier set and kind of awkward. He lived with his mother, though he described his relationship with her as not all that good. He had issues with girls. Surprise, surprise. He was rejected many times, and he had just gotten out of a serious but toxic relationship with a long-term girlfriend. And he was angry. He was depressed. He would write fucked up shit about women. He would write all this poetry about his fucked up view on women. Oh, and his cat had just died. Boo fucking who. I mean, I'm actually kind of glad his cat didn't have to deal with him anymore. Once they got Kevin Davis back to the police station for questioning him, they attempted to get him a lawyer, but he said he only wanted to speak with police directly. So the police read him his rights, twice, just to be sure he understood. And then Kevin began to go into detail about what happened with Jennifer Teague. It's horrific, it's very disturbing, and very triggering. So if you don't want to hear the details, you're going to want to skip ahead probably by five minutes or so here. Just wanted to give you a heads up because so far everything has been pretty PG, but we're going to go into detail about what he did and he's an absolute monster. Weeks before the attack, Kevin began to make preparations. He said because so much had been taken from him, 
aka he broke up with his girlfriend, he lost his job, and his cat died. He wanted to take something back. Like, seriously, once again, boo fucking who. So he ripped up some sheets into cloth strips that could be used to tie someone up. The idea of abducting someone just kept popping up in his mind as he laid around his home feeling depressed and playing video games. On the night in question, he was actually supposed to go to his friend's house to play video games. However, instead, he decided this would be the night he would take someone. He put on black jogging pants and a blue hooded sweatshirt. Then he got into his mother's Pontiac Sunfire and drove around Barhaven looking for a young woman to abduct. That's when he drove past the Max Milk convenience store and he saw Jennifer Teague sitting outside with her friends. She looked kind of familiar to him. He thought he may have met her a few times at the church near both of their homes. They actually lived really close to each other. Jen fit the description of what he was looking for. She was pretty, she was petite, and she was around 18 or 19 years old. So he pulled into the parking lot and he watched her for a bit longer while she chatted with her friend. According to Kevin, he wasn't exactly sure what he had planned to do, but the idea of abducting, raping, and killing kept popping into his mind. He decided to leave the parking lot and go park the car further down the road where he could wait and still watch her, but without her maybe getting suspicious. It wasn't long before he saw Jen hug her friend and began walking down the road by herself. He waited until she was walking on a dark path near the train tracks. This is a path that I've taken myself at night many, many times. It's a popular route for teenagers to take when they're going back and forth between the shopping area of Barhaven and the older residential area. Jen was walking in the direction of her own home, as well as in the direction of Kevin's. Like I said, the two lived quite close to each other. So Kevin sped home to park the vehicle, and then he hurried back to meet Jen on the path. He brought with him a military-style knife that he had purchased at a local Walmart, as well as those pieces of ripped-up sheets he had prepared. He also brought a green cord and a sock. When he approached her in the dark, he said, Come with me. Jen screamed and said, Oh my god, what's happening? According to Kevin, he reassured her that he wouldn't hurt her as long as she followed his orders. Then he forced her to the ground, and he tied her hands and feet. He blindfolded her and stuck the sock in her mouth. He searched her backpack to see if she had any money or drugs on her that he could take, and he found her discman, her cell phone, all of her ID. He turned off her cell phone just in case someone had decided to call during that time. After searching through her belongings, he untied her feet so that he could walk her back to his home, which they were pretty close to at the time. He also removed the sock from her mouth, and when he did, she asked him if he was going to rape her, hurt her, or kill her. He told her no, and he began to ask her questions about her family, like if she had any brothers or sisters. This was all happening, they were chit-chatting as they were walking towards his house. It's pretty sick and twisted that he would ask her these personal questions to get to know her, and then still continue to do what he did. She answered all of his questions, likely hoping that if she tried to be his friend, he wouldn't hurt her. Jen talked about her brothers and how her parents were divorced, something that Kevin would relate to. As they walked, he kept the knife held towards her, but he claims that he never actually touched her with it. 
After the short walk, they arrived at Kevin's house, going through the back gate and back door of the home. It was around 1.30 a.m. at this time, and Kevin's mother was sleeping upstairs, so he told Jen to be quiet as he led her up to his bedroom. This is where he untied her, undressed her, and then retied her. He placed the sock back in her mouth and blindfolded her once again. According to Kevin's testimony, he wasn't sure what he was going to do next, so he sat on the bed next to her and had a cigarette. At one point, the sock in her mouth was making it difficult for her to breathe, so he took it out of her mouth and she asked for a glass of water, which he got from the bathroom for her. She drank a bit of it, but then she threw up and apologized for making a mess. The plan and idea was always sexual in nature, but Kevin said now that he had her there in his room, he couldn't get an erection, so he touched her breasts and he digitally penetrated her, but then he said he couldn't bring himself to go any further than this. He sat there for a while, contemplating what to do, thinking he should let her go, while also worrying about her telling the police. He eventually decided that he had to kill her, and he said the last words out of her mouth were, I have to go soon because my mom will worry. That fucking statement broke my heart. Then he sat her up, and he strangled her from behind with one of the pieces of bedsheet fabric until she stopped breathing. In his testimony, Kevin said, I want people to know I didn't rape her. I didn't beat her. I'm not a monster. Yeah, he's fucking delusional. After killing her, he wiped down her body and attempted to remove any of his hair or fingerprints that may be on her. Then he rolled her body up into a quilt that his poor grandmother had made for him, and he dragged the body down the stairs and put her into the trunk of his mother's car. This all happened while his mother was upstairs sleeping, and according to her, she didn't hear a thing. Kevin then drove around, trying to find a secluded location to dump her body, and he decided on the Lime Kiln Trail. He dragged her body out to the trail and dumped it out of the quilt with her landing in the dirt face down. He removed all of the fabric ties that were on her, as well as the gag in her mouth, and then he covered her body in brush. Then he went home, he threw Jennifer's clothing in a garbage bag, and it was picked up with the rest of the trash the following morning. This was a really terrible, horrific, and very detailed story that he was giving the police, but police were a bit skeptical in the beginning that this was really their guy, because he had gone back and forth with his statements. First he had an alibi, then he did mushrooms and said he was the killer, then he denied it, then he said he actually did do it. They wanted to know that they were dealing with the actual killer, so they asked him to prove it. As it turned out, Kevin Davis still had the quilt that his grandmother had made for him, the one that he used to roll up Jennifer's body. He also still had Jennifer's CD player he had taken from her bag that evening, which they found still in a box at his mother's house. He was also able to perfectly describe what she was wearing that night. And so Kevin Davis was charged with the murder of Jennifer Teague. Police would say he appeared to be very remorseful. He even made a video apology for the Teague family, saying, If I could give my life in exchange for hers, I would do that right now. For what it's worth, I am sorry. I am very sorry. But only six weeks after that mm, emotional confession, Kevin Davis appeared to have a change of heart while in custody. 
When asked if he still intended to plead guilty to the murder, he smirked and said, No, I didn't do it. I didn't do it unless there was hard DNA evidence. This guy is a real piece of shit. And thankfully, there was a shit ton of evidence against him. During the preliminary trial, after having to see the faces and hear the pain in the voices of Jennifer's family, Kevin Davis, again, agreed to plead guilty to murder, which would at least spare the family from even more pain caused by a lengthy, in-depth trial. On January 25th, 2008, two and a half years after Jen was killed, Kevin Davis admitted his guilt and he was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. The Teague family wanted answers as to why he would do this, but he gave none. Jen was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and happened to become the victim of a disgusting monster who should have just taken his own life instead if he was just that miserable, but he didn't, and so the Teague family had to suffer tremendously. I cannot imagine the pain that they've endured, but also the friend that Jen had met up with at Max Milk Convenience Store that evening, she was the last one to see Jen or speak with her before the pair split up. Jen would be 34 years old if she were alive today. So, hug your loved ones, trust no one, keep your car keys in your hand when you're walking alone, because even in the safest of neighborhoods, there could be a monster lurking in the shadows. That's it for me tonight. I'd like to once again thank our sponsor. Make sure you check out garagestoreswithaz.com for all of your vehicle accessory needs. They have a huge selection, guys. Free shipping, buyer reviews, and a no-hassle return policy. Make sure you check out their link in my show notes. Supporting my sponsors really does help support me and helps me to create more true crime content. Now, as for me, if you want to reach out, you can always find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can search for me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper. That's all one word. If you'd like more ad-free exclusive content, as well as supplemental documents and details on the cases I cover, make sure you join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Serial Napper. Until next time, stay safe and take care of the ones you love. Bye. I'm Dean, I'm the dad. I'm Laura, I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits. We are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales, Sherlock Holmes, and the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. 
find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's corner. But behave you two! So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!